requests and being a part of the family and the body of life that takes place. Well, this is uh, the last for you. You know, when, uh, when Dwight was saying, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that comes from the Psalms. And also, uh, the Lord's Prayer, remember? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When you're praying for that, you're praying for the millennium. And uh, Jerusalem is going to have to go through a lot of pain and sorrow before they will repent, before the Lord lands on uh, Mount Olives. So every time I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and I do pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I'd like to see their less suffering. But there's a lot of Christians on both sides there. Uh, I was in Israel uh, several times, and they always took us to Bethlehem, which is in the Gaza Strip, basically. <clears throat> and there's always met a few Christians that, that have a uh, little church in that area. And uh, they're not part of Hamas, and they're not hating Israel, but they're caught in this awful uh, bombing and what have you. It's, uh, it's an interesting time, isn't it? This evening, this evening, this afternoon, I'd like to draw your attention to a very familiar passage, and we'll take off from there. Matthew 28, 18 and 20. It's familiar, it's so familiar, I think in most evangelical churches we could probably quote it uh, by memory. Even though we didn't sit down to memorize it, we could pick it up because we've heard it so often. The main focus of the church is to uh, evangelize and edify. To evangelize our community and to be edified in the body. The church meetings we have are, are basically uh, for the believer. And we go out to evangelize the world and then we go out to evangelize our community. And, the, and Jesus, the last words of Jesus were, and Jesus came up. And spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and, lo, I am with you always. So the biblical responsibility of the local church is to evangelize the world. In Acts 1.8, we read, but you will be, Jesus telling in his disciples just prior to his ascension, you will be receive power, which the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Well, from Jerusalem, we're the remotest part of the earth. So the continuation of evangelism is to take place. And one of the greatest missions of the church is world evangelism. Though still much has yet to be done, the church grew from Jerusalem to the remotest part of the earth. Amazing how fast the gospel spread in that first generation and two. And how even now 
men and women are going out to preach the gospel and minister the gospel to tribes and to people that have never known the word. I have a daughter, or a daughter, I have a sister-in-law who's going with us on our vacation, and she's been in the jungles of Irian Jaya, which is former New Guinea, for 18 years, and she uh, had the privilege of spreading the gospel to tribes who never actually ever seen white men. And uh, so she's seen people come from the bush to actually come to Christ and be involved in studying the Word of God, being taught to read, and studying the Word of God. Then they kicked her out because of the Islamic faith, and they didn't want uh, the people in the, in the jungles and tribes to be evangelized. So then she went to Afghanistan, where uh, she couldn't even, where they couldn't even record believers because they would be killed. And the people that worked in the mission with her were examined by the uh, Taliban as they went out as to what kind of books they were told, if they were told about Christ. So the people who were spreading the gospel in Afghanistan could not record believers so that if they ever got out, then the people would not be persecuted. So we have missions going out all over the world, and we still have people dying for being a believer and still dying for the faith. We have a song we sing in our church, Ancient Words. Maybe you sing that here. And one of the lines is, the Bible has blood on every page. People have died for this book in every generation since the church was uh, created and formed by Jesus Christ. So our biblical responsibility is that we are to spread the gospel. Now, it's interesting that when the church started, the gospel really grew in the city of Jerusalem. But it took a persecution to get it spread. Take a look at Acts chapter one, 8, verse 1. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8, verse 1. This is just after Stephen has been killed, stoned to death for the faith. And we read, Saul, in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout all the regions of Judah and Samaria. They wanted to cling together. It was hard to push out. So the Lord allowed persecution to bring. So people had to spread out. And they spread out preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The leader of the persecution of the church at that time became the leader of world evangelism and local churches were planted throughout the Roman Empire. Amazing, isn't it? This man, this brilliant man, was walking down with all the energy he could muster to arrest and kill believers and the Lord struck him down. And he said, who art thou? And the voice came back, I'm Jesus. What a shock that would have been to Paul. I'm out persecuting his followers, and now I hear a voice from heaven saying, I'm Jesus. Ooh. The next line was, what do you want me to do? As he says in his testimonies there. 
I want to talk to you about evangelism of the community where we live and are. The local church becomes the primary source of edification and evangelism. We are the ones, the local church is responsible for the communities in which God sent us and God gave to us. Uh, I asked uh, Frank Drown years ago, I was in camp, a Raccoon River Bible camp, and Frank's uh, family was part of it. And Frank was one of the missionaries that led the Ecuadorian army in to retrieve the five missionaries who were killed in 1956 in the, uh, by the, by the uh, uh, jungle people, and they flew a plane in there, and all of them lost their life. And Frank was one of those that was supposed to go, but they said he had too many children, and they didn't want him to go because it's such a risky thing, and he let him in. So I said, uh, Frank, where do you decide to plant a church in a jungle? And Frank said, as far as a pregnant woman can walk. That's where we put a church. And as I said this morning, we have 40 churches in the county next to us. And you have 62,000 people here. And I don't know how many churches Council Bluffs has. But by the same token, they have one church that preaches the Word of God, of which I know, and that's this one. So you have a responsibility to reach your committee. And God has placed you and sprinkled you all over Council Bluffs, maybe even as far away as Omaha. And uh, you can uh, preach the Word of God right where you are and your responsibility to do it as an individual. It's interesting when you stop and go through the book of Acts, all the evangelism takes place. Paul goes to this town and preaches the Word of God and a church is formed. And he goes the next time, next town, and a church is formed. A lot of times under most severe circumstances like at Philippi. But then uh, you get into the epistles and you don't read a lot about evangelism. You hear a lot about evangelism, but you don't read a lot about, about evangelism. The church becomes the center and the church edifies the saints and they become the witness in the community. In, for, in Colossians chapter 1, 28 and 29, there's some very familiar words. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. And he says, Paul writes to the church and he says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Colossians 1, 29. For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power with the mighty Mighty works within me. All right. The church is to take everybody in the church and bring them to maturity. That's our goal. Our goal is to evangelize the community in which we live. And the church's responsibility is to build up everybody in the faith and make them mature men and women. So the local church is a fellowship of born-again believers loving each other sitting under the teaching of the Word of God and obediently exercising their spiritual gifts. And we saw that practice. One of the ways of edification is uh, church meals. People get together, they fellowship together, they talk together, they work together to put the meal together, and 
everything else. And in fact, when you read in Acts chapter 2, we see they met and they shared their meals earlier in the church history. And we read again that commandment that you love one another and this is the way that people will know that you really are a part of God's family. And so corporate evangelism of the church is basic to personal evangelism. The more mature the church becomes, the more confidence one becomes of evangelism. I've been in churches where we had some strife, and I, quite frankly, was glad nobody was coming in at that time to see the strife that we were having and the, this tension that was in the church at that time. Praise God, we walked through it, but the tension was so great, you really didn't want people to come into your church. Now, when a church is mature and people are loving each other and the church is hearing the word of God, you're not afraid to say to your neighbor, come to our church. You're not afraid even to share the gospel with them because you can come here and like you did here and you say, pray for John Jones. I've been talking to John Jones and he's uh, listening to me. Pray that I'd have wisdom to handle this correctly that he might come to Jesus Christ. You have that body that you can come to, to be built up, to go out and, and go. You have the body where the doctrine of salvation is taught so that you can go out and a guy says, how, how can I be saved? You can sit down and, and tell them the plan of salvation and you don't even have to call your pastor. I mean, he's glad to do it. But each one of us ought to be uh, very well familiar with a plan of salvation that we can take that plan of salvation in whatever circumstances we are, be able to share that with them. I was with my friend and we were going to the Shepherds Conference in California one year. And we got on a plane and we thought our seats were together, but they weren't. He had the window seat, I had the aisle seat, and a lady sat between us. And she pulled out a Bible, and she had notes, and she was writing notes. So we engaged her in a conversation. Where are you going? She was going to uh, one of the more liberal churches in Los Angeles. There was a conference there. So my friend said to her, you know, I want to ask you a question. He said, if uh, it came over, that it came over the loudspeaker in this airplane, we've got two and a half minutes or we'll crash. We're crashing in two and a half minutes. And I said to you, tell me, how can I get to heaven? What would you say? She hemmed and hawed and hawed and hemmed. And, and we tried to help her out a little bit, but didn't make any sense. So two and a half minutes up and... My friend looked at her and said, you know what? We're all in hell. What if somebody asked you that in two and a half minutes? What if somebody came to you and said, in just a short time, tell me, I'm dying. Can I, what, what can you tell me? Can I go to heaven or not? You ought to have some plan on your uh, back of your mind. On, our, on your hard drive that you can, you can come out and say this. Here's how you get to heaven. 
and it's, know it so well that you can adjust it to whatever circumstance you're in. And that's what the church is here for, to teach you and strengthen you and pray for you to give you the strength to do that. Paul talks about the unbeliever who walks into the church when they hear the word of God in an orderly manner. And I, I referred to it earlier in one message. But if all prophesy and all unbelievers, ungifted man enters in, he's convict, and an unman, he is convicted by all, he's called into account. It's not just the sermon, folks. It's all of you. And all of us together, when we're really looking and serving the Lord, a person walks in here, they can sense, like I said, the love, or they can sense the worship. Thank you for the food, ladies, but it's really, uh, I can feel it as I'm preaching. <laughs> The biblical instruction for education and evangelism uh, is in the church. And he and Paul gives us, or the Bible gives us, instructions about how to evangelize in our community. How to evangelize in our neighborhood. Okay, let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4.11. I'll give you seven of them. It's a perfect number. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. He says, To make it your ambition to live, lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. If you're going to be a good neighbor, if you're going to be a good witness in your community, don't be a busybody. Mind your own business. The, the command in this verse is an heiress command, which is a military command. Do it and do it now. Which places it in the words of ambition in a quiet life, attend and work all your present uh, infinitives. Continue to do that. You know what? Your yard ought to look better than the other guy's yards on your block. Right? Oh, I didn't even hear an amen on that one. It's a testimony. If you're going to reach your neighbor for Christ and you're lowering the value of a house in your area, that's not much of a testimony. Do, your, do the work you're supposed to do. And stay, and you know, you can be a pest to your neighbors. You ever had a neighbor that just comes over and yak, 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 and yak, 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 and you've got things to do and you don't know quite how to get rid of them? Share the gospel. <laughs> but you ought to do it in a context that your house is in order, right? My friend... Uh, the most interesting guy I ever knew. He was big and loud. He was 350 pounds. If he was an ounce, he was 350 pounds. Big, massive guy, massive hands. And, and uh, he, he was a gospel witness where we went. And he said he had a salesman that came into his office always and trying to sell 
uh, ads to uh, the yellow pages, which you hardly have anymore. But he was, so he said, I tried to get rid of him. So he said, you know what, sir? If you don't accept Jesus Christ, you are going right straight to hell. And he just laid it on him. He said, it wasn't the greatest motive in the world for witnessing, but I did it. Two weeks later, the guy came back in the office and he said, thank you, Art. I accepted Christ. I got so upset by what you said, and this is in Kansas City. He said, I got on a plane, went to the West Coast, got in a hotel in Los Angeles, and there was a Gideon Bible there. I read the Gideon Bible and read all about it, and I came to know Christ. God saves people in spite of us. Doesn't he? But these are things that can help. Have a witness to back it up. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, on the same line, he, or excuse me, I'm ahead of myself. The second one is being a good employee. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. All who are under the yoke of slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. I remember having Bible studies in Kansas City with uh, people that worked in the corporate world. And uh, they would meet at the waterhole, and everybody knew how to run the company, but the guys who were running the company. Ever been there? From the janitor to everybody. They ought to do this, they ought to do this, they ought to do this. And I said, you want to break that up? You say, I'm glad God gave me this job. And I appreciate it. And you'll break up the clutch. A friend of mine got saved in Kansas City. And he worked for a company like Wells Fargo. And they had a bunch of cubicles in there. And he came to know Christ. And he went to every cubicle and he said, I want you to know I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you see me doing anything that's not holding to the Christian standards, come and tell me. To every cubicle. Sat down. In comes another guy. Said, Eric, I'm ashamed. I've been working here for X number of years and never shared the gospel. Never shared the gospel. And uh, we ended up baptizing that guy and, and uh, eventually having a great uh, fellowship with him. But if you're working hard and you're doing a good job and people know you're honest, you have a testimony. If you're asked to sweep out the warehouse, you sweep the corners. You go the extra mile. Ephesians 6, 5 and 6, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear, trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Who gave you that job? Who keeps you in that job? You're really working for the Lord Jesus Christ. And your boss may be a crabby guy or a crabby lady. So, this is the opportunity for you to show 
You're long-suffering. Isn't one of the fruit of the Spirit long-suffering? Patience? You have the Spirit living within you, do you not? Use it. Third, living peace with everyone. In Romans chapter 12, he says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. There's some people that just get your hackles up, don't they? There's some people when they talk, they're just irritable to you. They do to me too. I mean, I'm a pastor and there's some people just irritate me. And the only way I can handle that is I have to go to prayer about them and I say, God, you have to change my heart. My old flesh is just riled every time they walk into a room or they spend a room, I want to come out their throat. So he says in verse Corinthians 10, 31 and 33, I'm not telling you anything you haven't heard before. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. That's interesting. Just as I also please all men and all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Now, he's not talking about compromising his faith. He's just talking about living out his faith. If you don't have to make an argument out of everything everybody says to us. And we don't have to be in opposition to everything that everybody says. We just don't have to talk sometimes. So, if possible, live with peace. Be a peaceful guy in church and in your work and wherever you are. Sometimes uh, uh, it's, like he says, so far as possible. So, it evidently he knew it was tough too. Than living in the world. First Peter two twelve. Let's take a look at that one. Living in the world. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, observe them, glorify God. In the day of vegetation. We had a couple that moved into Hutchinson, Kansas. Both from Canada. And he had been joined the United States Air Force. A Canadian citizen. And he became a, a pilot. And uh, he went down and served with coke oil in Wichita, Kansas. And they moved the airplanes up to Hutchinson. Because the. Uh, hangers up there was cheaper. And he was a he was from Quebec and he was a staunch Catholic. And he moved in and across the street we had a lady in in our church, very nondescript. People hardly knew she went to church there. Came over and offered them a meal when they were moving in. Come on over and eat. And so they did. 
And so he went to the Catholic Church, and he didn't like the priest. So they went to another parish in Hutchinson, and he didn't like the priest there. And he said, well, by the way, where, did, where does that lady across the street go? She's nice and pleasant, brings us cookies and all kinds of things now and then, just does pleasant things for us. Where does she go to church? So she, she, they went over there, and she told him to come to our church. We were the first Protestant church he'd ever been in. And I was preaching on deacons, and I said, you know, uh, they can have one wife. He said, I got him there. Elders, bishops cannot have one, have a wife. While he's sitting in an airport in Denver, waiting for the people, he flew for Coke Oil and waiting for them to come around. He decided to open his Catholic Bible to Timothy, found out that it was possible even in their own Bible. And he said to himself, they're lying to me. I'm going back to that church. He ended up, he came to know Christ. Just because, I, I understand, I'm a strong Calvinist, so I understand God chooses people. I understand salvation has nothing to do with me, has everything to do with the Spirit of God. It's a work of God. But you know the beautiful thing? He uses us. We get to partake into it. And he said, here's this lady. Just did a kind deed to their neighbor. And God blessed it. God blessed it. How about marriages? Stabilized marriage and family. How big a witness is that today? Ephesians 5.33, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as he himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And we realize that this is both goes both ways. But where there is a family that is happily living together in the Word of God, faithfully serving Him, how big an impact is that in a community or in a club or where you work when you can say, I love my wife, I love my husband, and I love our family, and we are serving the Lord. That has impact far than you will ever know. Our families are falling apart all over the place. And our country is encouraging it. Strong families. Come on over and have a soup with us or a root beer float. Come on over and have something over at our house. And, and yet your children, here's another one. Your children are obedient to the parents. Here's what it says in the Word. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Colossians 3, 20, verse 21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Parents. You can go two ways. You can be way too liberal in rearing your children, and you can be way too strict. And God's Word and the Holy Spirit will find that balance for you. In fact, it's a requirement for an elder or a deacon. Your children need to be in order. They need to be believing. But that is a great impact. I've had people say in church, oh, they're great people, but oh, they're children, man. 
Oh, man, don't have them over. They'll tear your house up in a hurry. We had uh, a couple that we that would stop in. We lived on a road. We lived in the country, and they lived in a further town, but we were right on the road they'd drive by. So after prayer meeting or Sunday night, they'd stop by, and a lot of times when we'd have Coke or something, a piece of pie, and they had two boys our boy's age. And those two boys were uh, wild maniacs. And so uh, we'd always say when they were over and, and we'd say to our two boys, go up and pick up your room. Well, we didn't throw them out there. Those boys just came and threw all the toys out. So I told Dave, I said, Dave, you're bigger than the other two. You make sure before they go home, they pick up the toys. You don't let them out the door of this room until they picked up the toys. <laughs> and uh, they did. And so this couple said to me, you know, we have a lot of people over, but people don't have us over. And I said, do you want to know why? Well, yeah, sort of. <laughs> I said, well, I've watched you, uh, your children, uh, and, and people are complaining about your children being too, too bad. They just go through your, their house, and they just don't like it. And I said, I watched you discipline your children. Here's little Joey. He's driving this truck, and you say, Joey, put the truck away. We're leaving. Joey shifts down a gear, keeps driving. Joey... We're going. Put that truck away. He shifts to another gear lower. Now he's in grandma low. And the parents are, I told you to put that truck away. I said, you're not disciplining your children by your words. You're disciplining your children by your emotions. Now, I went to school. And I would try a teacher as far as I could. I know nobody here does that kind of sinful thing, but I did. And I would watch where that red line would go. And I would gamble. Children are good gamblers, but poor. And I, I would get, okay, this is time to lay off. Now, what you want to do is discipline your children by your words. When you're 16 in a 4,000-pound car, you want to say be home at 11.30, they're home at 11.30. They're not waiting to feel you out as to your emotions. And when you discipline them at the first word, you're not disciplining out of anger or exasperation. You say, put away the toy? No, put away the toy right now. We're doing it. You got to influence them by your words. And marriage... And children are great and great testimonies. And so your own children can play a part in this as well. But you have to be a mother and you have to be a dad. And you have to make your word mean what it means. You know, there's a Bible verse that says, let your yes be yes and what is the rest of it? No means no. That's the principle. 
Then, of course, there is the constant praying, as you did here. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 to 4. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I appreciated uh, a prayer you prayed today, prayed for the government. I don't remember who did it, but I was impressed by that. That is important. And I could add this to the list too, your own politics. We have a president and a government that probably all of us would agree are kind of weak. We don't agree with the fact that we're killing babies in the womb. We don't agree of all this transsexual stuff that's going on, being promoted by the government. But the president is still the president. And we are to give him respect. And how would it be? I, I don't know. I don't have that kind of authority or presence. But if I'm constantly running down the president and suddenly I'm invited in his room and now I have an opportunity to witness to him and he knows all that I've been saying, I've just cut off a witnessing hand here. And we all have our political differences, right? Now, I'm very conservative, I'll admit it. But, I, but to me, it's not worth preaching politics. I'm preaching Christ. <coughs> and so I'm very careful what I stick on my car or the signs I put in my yard. Not because I don't have a preference. It's just that I... To me, it's not worth offending a neighbor when I want to talk to him about Christ. Be careful. Be careful about those things. Entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving made behalf on all men for kings and those who are in authority over us. Maybe I don't like the mayor or the town guy that's on the town board. One lives right next to me. Very good neighbor. And God has given us the opportunity to witness to them. And then, finally but not least, practice godly wisdom. Turn to Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Where he says this. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Think things through. Making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how to, you should respond to each person. I can't tell you how many times I said a dumb thing. Didn't think it through. Just st stupid thing. 
Think things through when you before you say it. I, I always get a kick out of hospital visits. Maybe not. People come in while I'm in there and say, what do you have? Oh, I have this. Oh, my uncle died for that a week ago. What are you saying? Guys want to be encouraged and doctor says you'll get over. My friend from the church comes in and says his uncle died a week ago with the same thing. Be careful about those things. Stink them through. Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity. Uh, your pastor and Jane took us out to dinner last night and uh, he paid the tip. I don't like paying tips. Charge them enough. But I do. Why? Because I want to maintain a testimony. And if you're going to pray before a meal, tip. Be generous. Because you have a testimony at stake there. And I'll tell you another thing. We've had three or four times we've had people pay for our meal because we prayed. We go out to pay our meal and say, it's all right, taken care of. Somebody saw you pray and they were so appreciative they bought your meal. Now, that's not why you do it. <laughs> you don't want to do it for that reason. But you got to be generous. Got to be generous. We, uh, I know a family back where I'm from. They're uh, very tight. They have money, but they're very tight. So they buy one, the biggest drink, you know, where you can go and fill them up. They buy the large drink and five straws, and everybody drinks out of the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> One for you. You know what? How does that look? I mean, really. Guys trying to make a living, and you're trying to cheat them out of it. So. We pray that you are a godly person in your community and you're growing in grace. First of all, learn the plan of salvation. Know it so that you can say it from the heart and so that you can adjust it to whatever situation you're in, whether you're in a water cooler, around a water cooler, or you're in an airplane flying, or you're in your neighborhood and you and your neighbor on the back porch are talking about these things, or wherever you are, even with a relative, that you can just speak in love the plan of salvation and see them come to know Jesus Christ. I know Jesus does it. They were chosen before the foundation of the world. And it's all of the Spirit. But be thankful that He can use you and me. We're in this together with Him that he saw fit to include us in his plan and work.
That's why I love this work. I'm not alone in this. The Holy Spirit has given me strength and wisdom, even though I've blown it. I can't tell you how many times I've blown it. I can't tell you how many times I made a mistake suggesting the church to do something and it fall flat. But I thank you for the guys in the church that love me anyway and said, well, you flubbed there, Rod, but we still love you. Isn't that great? You have the same thing. Love your pastor. Of course, Oswald never flunks anything. He knows perfect. But the uh, point is, people, you've got a great pastor. You've got a great church. God's got a great place for you. Council Bluffs needs the Lord in Iowa and even Omaha and Nebraska. All right. Father, we thank you for this group and for the love they have for you and the genuineness that's here. May you, Lord, really bless them. Use Pastor Oswald and those elders that are with him. Thank you for the battles they've won and fought, for the faith they've held dear. Thank you for the people here who love them and have supported them, who've grown and come to know Christ through the ministry of your word. May you bless them and lead them on. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.